Welcome to another episode in our podcast series, The Best Revenge. Joining me today in our state-of-the-art studio here on beautiful Highcrest Road is our master of sight and sound, Radical Rex Scott. Hey, how's it going, folks? And through the miracle of uh, modern technology, we are joined, so we hope, by Chef Garrett Fleming. And uh, this is our second attempt at recording this show, and I'm sure it's going to work out a great deal better. Absolutely. Well, welcome, Chef. Hello. You don't mind if I call you Chef, do you? Uh, I don't. Good. Well, that's enthusiastic. <laughs> Garrett uh, joined in uh, at the end of September or early October, a small group of friends of and supporters of the Fleming Foundation. And we made a trip to Rome and to Umbria and stayed in Perugia. And uh, then with a few, with uh, Mark Beasley, we rented, uh, a, uh, we lived on a little farm outside of the town of Spello. Hmm. You were in. Uh, you were only in Rome a few days, but you've been there before. Uh, do you have any new impressions of? Uh, I mean, anything you take away from your experience in Rome this time? I think I just would have lower expectations on kind of eating out in Rome. I don't know if that's something to take away. I think that there's probably a lot of really great restaurants in Rome, but I think because it's so large and they're trying to feed so many people so many things that, uh, as opposed to some of the smaller places we went. There's really a, a lack of, uh, it seemed a lot less, to ha it seemed to have a lot less uh, kind of identifying dishes from the area. So sure, there was a lot of classic kind of Roman dishes, but... Like salt and balka right. and, uh, you know, things like that. Let's walk through quickly, walk over the highlights of the trip uh, through Umbria. We uh, left Rome in the morning... Uh, we had we rented a bus and driver, and our ultimate destination that day was Perugia, which is the the, the largest town. It's hardly a city, but it's you know it's a, it's one hundred twenty five thousand or something in in Umbria. Uh, but we spent the whole day traveling because we knew that there was a nightmare waiting for us at the end of the day, namely the opening of the International Chocolate Festival in uh, Perugia, which, which was a horrifying experience. Mm. So we first went to Todi in southern Umbria, sort of halfway between Rome and Perugia. And when we got to Todi, instead of a chocolate festival, they had a medieval fair, and they were celebrating their patron saint. And as you may recall, they had archers everywhere. Some of them were dressed up in medieval style, like as if they were Rob, Robin Hood. But there were also guys dressed like samurai warriors and uh, and sci science fiction characters. So that was a uh, a strange experience. So we we enjoyed, you know, looking at the cathedral and doing things like that. But for you, of course, the big point of the day was lunch. That's usually the big point of every day. Mm -hmm. And we looked around at various places, and we ended up stopping at a place called Pane Vino, that is bread and wine, uh, obviously specializing in the basics, which we picked out both on a recommendation from our guide, Isabella, but also just from looking at the place. 
And do uh, you remember the first thing they did when we sat down? We, we, the place was empty, but it, it gradually filled up with neighborhood people. Uh, it was a, I think it was a Sunday, if I'm... Yes, it was a Sunday. So uh, the first thing they did was bring out a uh, bread, which you pointed out was day-old bread, which meant that they didn't buy commercial bread, but, you know, actually had their own bread. And, uh, and, they, and they did something which seems sort of very American, that is they brought out olive oil, but they brought out a selection of different olive oils to, uh, to, uh, to, to, so that we could taste them. Brett, do you remember all the different oils? I do. He said it was his olive oil, but I don't think, I mean, they, they obviously didn't make it at the restaurant. No. They, but it's low. It was local. Uh, it was oil made there in in Toadie. He may have owned a farm or something, but he certainly didn't make it uh, at the restaurant. How can serving olive oil at a restaurant with bread be like Americanized? I don't understand that. Didn't that come from those guys over there? It does, but you know they do it when they've got special oil to show off. And in America, you do it. People do it. They go to um, what's that? Cha- what's that chain? Um, uh, the Olive Garden. People go to the Olive Garden and get get crummy Moroccan olive oil or whatever, and they dip their their rotten bread into it. And you know, and it, it's you can't go anywhere without somebody saying, "I can I have some oil for this bread?" And I always try to explain to them if they wanted to do that in this restaurant, they'd be doing it. Mm-hmm. The yeah. fact that they're not doing it means that they don't feel they have oil to show off. I see. And uh, this place had several uh, different oils of different uh, strength and, uh, and age. They also had some wonderful um, salumi. You know, they had what? They had uh, a prosciutto. They had some salamis. And, uh, yeah, they had a, the nice pizza cheese. They had a, it was one of the first really kind of nice salumi plates that we got. We, we must have gotten one almost at every restaurant. Yes. Just about until we got a little salami out. <laughs> I didn't think that was possible. I mean, I, you're you're the great sal- the, you're the the great salumiere. Oh, yeah. you, you and your uh, brother-in-law are making prosciutto and salami and uh, everything. Well, it's research. Yeah, research. <laughs> the uh, yeah, tell that to the IRS. Oh. It was the first time on that trip, of course, that we were given salt-free bread, which people associate with Florence and Tuscany. But that tradition is historically more associated with Umbria. It may have started there. There's a famous story that, you know, the, 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 the papacy was always trying to control Perugia, which they had a feudal right over, but they, they, were, they were constantly trying to sort of run the city. And at one point, Pope Paul III, uh, I think Alexander Farnese, one of the, one of the worst of the, uh, of the uh, popes, he... Um, he put a tax on salt on, into the region, and so the Perugians responded by refusing to eat salt, and so they quit putting salt in their bread, and this took over as a custom. Now, this may be this story may not be true, but it's the story that they, if you ask them, why don't you have salt in your bread, it's always to show their contempt for the papacy. Now, by the way, it doesn't mean they weren't good Catholics because they were. You know, even in the, you know, I was reading the other day, and uh, during when, when the Italian uh, nation state, the Kingdom of Italy, was conquering the the uh, the papal states, people put up signs in Rome, uh, uh, "Death to the King, but Viva il Papa." Well, pa- the Pope was the king, 
So what they wanted, they, they over, what they said they wanted was to destroy the, the political authority of the Pope while at the same time maintaining his spiritual authority. Of course, uh, what people say and what they really think are rarely uh, the same thing. So <laughs> we also had, uh, that was our first time that we had tagliatelle with truffles. Tell us a little bit about that. Probably some of the best fresh pasta that we had on the trip. It was uh, this one was actually a tomato sauce one, which isn't classic. We saw many iterations of the dish. Sometimes it was in a stuffed pasta, the capolacci, or sometimes it was just with Natalia Nelle with a little olive oil. Uh, but this particular one had porcini mushrooms, and they seemed to be they looked more like chanterelle mushrooms, but they could have been a mixture of chopped up. Ah, yeah. And then it was just fresh tomatoes tossed together over very, very lovely fresh egg noodle pasta. And then Mother was the one that actually ended up getting, that one did not have truffles. Mother was the one that got the one with truffles on it. I think you and I both got the ones that had uh, the, uh, the tomato sauce with the uh, porcini mushrooms. Um, but it was, I think, the first time that we saw that truffle pasta. And that was one of the dishes from the area. Uh, one of the biggest ones that we saw all, all throughout the region. And we saw it in a couple different different iterations. I think the nicest one was clearly not, not that one, although that was one of the nicest pastas. But the nicest ones are clearly when they bring out the truffle and shave it on top. Yeah. There was uh, somebody, maybe it was at the wine bar, the Enoteca in Spello, where uh, the waiter said if they don't, shave it at the table then uh you may be they may be cheating by using a little bit of truffle and then uh truffle oil and uh truffle oil is fine in the rest of italy but in umbria they regard it as a basic they sell it but they but it but the better restaurants typically don't don't use it they 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 use the the fresh shaved uh, truffle Describe the taste of truffles for us. Well, it's, uh, it's really something that's more hits your entire olfactory system than it really does hit your palate as in your tongue. Um, but like many things, they're obviously connected. Uh, you were mentioning truffle oil, and I think if you understand, when they make truffle oil, they synthesize the hormone released by a pig in heat. Yeah which is a steroid, and that's synthesized, which uh, explains all sorts of things. It explains kind of the musky, kind of dirty, sweaty. Um, <laughs> wow, sounds delicious. There's something that's innately kind of, I don't know, I don't want to earthy? say sensual because that's not, yeah, it's earthy. It's, 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 it's yeah. Sensual um, and earthy, and you what are you talking about? <laughs> you understand you understand one of two things. One, why, why truffle oil is pretty gross as a notion to make. And two, why, uh, you know, why we might be so attracted to something like truffles, because there is something very just jam-packed full of kind of umami and this overall sensory yeah. kind of experience where it's just, it's not, it's just this very savory, alluring smell. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't want to get too uh, explicit here, but I think musky is one of the words that one would use. Yeah. musky in a in a in an almost in a, in an erotic sense. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. So it's. Are you uh, talking about women's mud wrestling? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what we're talking about. <laughs> no. 
but uh, there is because it's also there are fresh tones to it too. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's like uh, oh, it could be nutty. Yeah. It could smell nutty and be nutty, and there's almost something when you get a really fresh, particularly with the uh, the, the white ones are the ones that are almost more intense in one way, whereas the black perigores and the black ones that were from the region that we were in, yeah. uh, Umbria, have uh, like a nutty fruitiness to it. Yeah, no, it was uh, what your mother and I had been uh, a week earlier. We had spent uh, three or four nights in, uh, well, I guess 10 days earlier. We'd spent three or four nights in Perugia and ended up, you know, you can't escape. You order a pizza. They say, you want truffles on that? You know, it's you, you can't right. get away from it. It's like in Tuscany, you can't get away from porcini. They want to put it in, in everything. And, you know, you, this could get tedious if you, if you uh, didn't start turning it down. But I have to say that in our two weeks that we spent in Umbria, uh, I ate 99% of the truffles I've ever eaten in my life, and I've also ate all the good truffles I'd ever eaten. I don't, I don't recall getting any bad stuff either. No, you had the. Well, I think one of my favorite ones that you had was in Bello at the uh, when you got the Canian Canian beef uh, carpaccio that had some of that lovely local olive oil, I believe from the farm that we were on, and then it was topped with fresh white truffles. That yeah. was really lovely. Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, we, went to, uh, we went to Gubbio that day, and we did just basically walked around and looked at things. Well, we arrived at Perugia around 7 uh, in the evening, uh, and unfortunately, although we had made prior arrangements for the police to let us through, they didn't seem to be aware of any prior arrangements. And so we had to let people out on a on a bus station area below the city and take this intricate series of uh, escalators and walkways. And unfortunately, you know, we had uh, one of our people, a very fine man, but he's, uh, he's a scientist, but he's suffering from uh, the after effects of childhood uh, polio. Mm. And a lot of people had brought bags for, you know, suitcases for about three weeks. And so a lot of heavy bags, a lot of uh, a lot of people who were not exactly athletic. Fortunately, you were there and there were uh, a few other younger, more athletic people. And, you know, we made our way through. I, I, it's halfway between hell and Mardi Gras. I don't know which would be worse, hell or Mardi Gras. So uh, that was... That was enough. We got to a, the hotel was very nice. The hotel Rosetta. I have no complaints about anything, including we had two dinners there, and they were both substantial, decent, middle-class Italian dinners. Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, I don't remember anything we ate at them, other than <laughs> that. Uh, once we did, uh, when your mother and I ate there by ourselves, we ordered this special uh, antipasto with a prosciutto of norcia and they brought this huge you know ham to the table and they basically all sort of shaved it with this knife i have and it had because it had the most exquisite fat it was better than any lardo i've ever eaten because your mother's busy cutting the fat off i said you know that fat <laughs> that fat's a hundred dollars a pound are you crazy that's where the flavor is <laughs> are Come you on, crazy eat that but uh, you know, women. But uh, anyway, we had we had uh, we had good food there. Do you remember anything we ate there? I remember a couple of things. I remember the first time we ate there, they had a uh, they had remembered that they had given you truffles at some point, which oh, you yeah. liked. So we got a, we did get a pasta that was full of both porcini's 
and finished with a mountain of truffles. Yeah. And he came back and loaded it up a couple times with the truffles. That was very nice. Yeah. And then the ringer, which I thought that was one of the best, that was definitely the best non-fresh pasta uh, that we had on the trip. Uh, but the ringer for me was they had a, a tequino roulade. Oh, yeah. A turkey breast that had been butterflied and laid out with prosciutto and then stuffed with something stinky and creamy like a robiolo. Mm-hmm. And then it was uh, rolled up and roasted so the skin was crispy, but they cooked it properly so that the turkey was so juicy throughout. Um, it, was, it was a really, really nice turkey presentation, and it tasted delicious. I had a bite of it, or two bites, and uh, you see, I never order turkey in Italy because they always roll it up. They always make some kind of, uh, you know, roulade. And secondly, uh, they always overcook it, and so it, it's white meat, it's dry, and I don't care how right. elegant the pre- uh, how elegant it is. I don't like it at all. So this was this was really astonishing. The flesh had a very had a very nice quality, a nice texture. To yeah, it. perfectly cooked. Uh, Garrett, did they spice meat uh, any differently? I mean, or are they going to leave it basic? What what kind of spices and stuff are they going to use? What's their primary herb that they're going to use to in their pastas in their meat? Do you know that? Well, um, I mean, it's going to be different for each region. One of the things that I noticed from the get go is that uh, as opposed to a lot of you know, th- th- there were very few fresh herbs involved, uh, particularly when you finish a pasta or something like that. And so I would say it, it, it's very, very simple across the board uh, to where, you know, it, it makes me think more of like their sausages that they make, which is where, you know, it, it can be as indicative of local seasonings as anything else. And they had a lovely local sausage where uh, it was, the ingredients were, were really wild. I think it was salt and um, pepper. What? <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was, it was so good though. Uh, and they really kind of relied like, uh, like a lot of the, the regional cuisines when they highlight it, they really just try and highlight it. Uh, so there's not, there's very little involved besides that. So down to their salamis, you know, they might have some red wine, maybe some garlic, but uh, most of their salamis were, were, were salt and pepper. Yeah, they, they have very good pigs. They're raised very well and uh, fed very well. And by the way, even in ancient times, it was recognized that their, that their pork was of a very high quality. And the rest of it's technique. If you have big factories making your sausage, you don't get the perfection. No, you know, they're, nice. they're nicely emulsified. They're nicely seasoned. Uh, one of the things I've always had an issue with, uh, you barely notice it, but if you go to the grocery store, uh, I mean, I, I love sausages, but I, I quit buying sausages that they make at the grocery store, I think, as soon as I started buying them, because they just make them so poorly. They're stuffed wrong, so when you cook them, they'll break, and that means that the fat that may or may not have been emulsified to begin with will all of a sudden break and come out, and then you lose any sense of moisture in your sausage. And more importantly, they don't taste the sausages at the average grocery store, not even at the Whole Foods. I've tried them, and they don't check it for salt or pepper. You just have these bland sausages that may have the other seasonings in them, but they're missing proper emulsification. They're usually tied too loose, or they're tied too tight and they'll burst, and they're always off on the, uh, on the fat. You know, uh, uh, one supermarket sausage that is uh, an exception 
when we were staying in the little place in the country, we there was the the nearest store was a, was a medium sized supermercato, and they had these strings of these sausages which they were selling. And again, I don't didn't notice anything but salt and pepper. Maybe a hint, maybe the slightest hint of sage. They were b- beautifully made, and I think we had them every day for breakfast, day after day, because you and you and Mark Beasley just w- weren't going to eat breakfast without the sausage. I was talking more of the grocery stores. I know, over I here. know. Over I would, there, I would, I, yes, of course. Yes, yeah. yes. I thought those. I thought those were fantastic. Yeah. Is that something you cook, or is that something that's already cooked? No, no, you cook them. Oh, yes. No, you cook them. Yeah, they're raw. Yeah, these were, but they're little. They're little. They're little, and the size was perfect. They're about as thick as a bratwurst, but maybe about as long as your thumb. Yeah, so you can eat three of them and not feel too horrible. Yeah, well, speak for yourself. Right, well, right. So um, we ate a lot in Perugia. We had uh, what I regard as Roman-style pizza at a little joint in the uh, in an alleyway. Uh, it's, I think it's actually the the street Baldo, which I think Baldo is short for Ubaldo. But this was called La Pasteria, the pasta joint of Perugia. Tell us about the pizza there, Garrett. You're a, you're a, you're a pizza expert. Well, I I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I'm definitely in what I appreciate. I would be an expert. Sure. I thought that that was the closest. You say that that's Roman style, but I've never had pizza like that in Rome. Of any quality, I remember maybe a decade ago we went to a place called what was it, Warrant? Oh, oh, Wanted, 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 and Wanted had pizza that was similar to that in Rome, but it wasn't as good. Yeah, and Wanted, Wanted, those people are Sicilian anyway. Yeah, this did seem like an honest attempt at Neapolitan-style pizza. It didn't seem. It may have been missing the extreme rise on the exterior of the crust but it still had chew in it. It had a little crisp. And then, of course, my favorite part, it had the droop in the middle. And the droop that I'm referring to is that when you cook pizza quickly enough, you're able to kind of set up the proteins in the crust where you start getting a char, which is going to give you flavor. And it's also going to force the rise of the crust on the exterior where it's not weighed down on toppings. This will lead to the middle, the center of all the toppings. If you're going to pull the pizza out in time, which is usually about 90 seconds to two minutes, the middle of the pizza will almost seem like it's not quite cooked. So when you pick up the pizza, the middle, very end of your pizza slice, will droop and it will look juicy. The flesh of the dough will intermingle with whatever it is, if it's olive oil or tomatoes, and you'll look and see this the sheen or slime as they mix and mingle together. And it's really, if you get it off a hot pizza, it's my favorite. I love the crust, but I also like that center juicy part. How uh, how big? It's a circular uh, patch in the middle. Would you say a silver dollar or more a 50-cent piece? They probably hit about a silver dollar, but I've seen it, you know, maybe an inch even further than that before. But sometimes, you know, then you're, it probably means your pizza oven's too hot. Yeah, yeah. Your mother and I, when we were staying at two different hotels up near the train station on this trip, you know, coming and going, we uh, we went to a place on the Via Genova uh, with a, with a ridiculous name. Um, what was it called? Um, anyway, it 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 they they made they made pure Roman pizza, which they call pinza, and pinza has a thicker crust, and it's chewier. 
And it used to be the kind of stuff they would uh, serve only in, uh, you know, they roll out square sheets of it and sell it by the slice. Now they're getting more arty. And I have to say, it, it, it wasn't Neapolitan at all, but it was, uh, it was delicious. So they made everything they did with it was delicious. So it, uh, pizza has been slightly evolving in Italy. Uh, that is, there, I, see, I now saw places in Umbria that would advertise uh, pinze, which they would put in, in quotation marks, you know, pinze romane, Roman pinze. And um, then there's a taste has developed for it. And it, it is delicious. It lacks, obviously, it lacks a thousand years of, uh, <laughs> of, of cultivation that you get in a, in a Neapolitan pizza, but it's a, it's a good dish. And I think probably more possible uh, to do uh, in a in a home, I'm going to try it after Thanksgiving. Yeah, maybe I'll use maybe leftover turkey pizza. That's the question I was going to ask. Is with this Neapolitan <laughs> pizza that's uh, charred and crispy on the edges, and then in the center, this fifty cent piece is kind of gooey as you cut it, and those bites there, they're it's gooey because it's for all practical purposes, it's raw. No, it's not, it's not that it's raw. It's raw in as much as a rare steak or a medium rare steak. Okay. Yes. Okay, I see. What um, so? What would you put on that pizza? You could. I mean, there's all sorts of things. Uh, my one of my favorites is the classic Diabla, which is uh, which utilizes a very spicy uh, salami, usually called uh, what is it? It's cala. Uh, it's it's a Calabrian salami that's full of um, full of chilies, and it's got a lot of it's got some paprika in it, and it's got some real heat. And then usually there's a base of San Marzano tomato. There's a base of mozzarella, uh, usually the buffalo mozzarella. And um, then, you know, it's very it's very stingy on all these ingredients because it's not meant to be filling. And then, uh, then on top of that, uh, they'll usually finish it with a fresh herb like basil or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, uh, Americans have a problem when they go to Italy because they want pepperoni pizza. And, uh, of course, if you, there is no such thing as pepperoni uh, in Italy. And the best you can do is some one or another kind of salame picante, that is spicy salami, either this Calabrian one or, you know, every region has a different, different one. And if they order a – so they'll see uh, pizza, they'll see pep, you know, they'll say pepperoni on the, uh, on the menu, and so they'll order it. And then they call the waiter and they say, hey, it's got nothing but, uh, but uh, bell peppers on it. And he said, yeah, that's what you ordered, you know, <laughs> pepperoni. Those are bell peppers. Ah. So it's, uh, it's like um, your, your, your Aunt Joyce who insisted on ordering a latte in, uh, in Como. And, and uh, your sister Eleanor explained to her, you know, a latte just means milk. You're just going to get milk. And, and, oh, they know what a latte is. Well, she got, she got a glass of milk. Oh, man. You know, so uh, it's 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 best to add. Italian waiters are not like French waiters. They're very friendly. They're very helpful, and uh, but they they can't always second guess uh, what's going on in the in the American mind. We had some good dinners. We I thought especially at there's a place called the Trattoria Borgo di San Francesco in Perugia where we. Uh, we had a group meal and uh, with just two different pastas. I thought they did uh, did us very well. What's the worst meal we had? Remember going to Lake Trasimene to see the battlefield where Hannibal beat the Romans? 
And we st- oh, yes, that was disgusting, the, uh, the carpet extravaganza. And we stopped at this beautiful fish restaurant on the lake. And as I walked in, I looked around and said, gosh, it's gorgeous. You know, the sun is shining off the waves, and it's a beautiful, warm day. And I said, you know, even if the food all stinks, we'll have a good time. Well, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, the wine was excellent. <clears throat> they had an excellent white wine. I think it's about the best white wine we drank the whole time. Beyond that, uh, I don't know about you, but the carp row appetizer was not was memorably bad. Salted carp row. Yeah, it was bad because it was heated too. Yeah, yeah, it, which was strange. Yeah, it gave it an extra kick to the to the to the nauseating flavor. And then we got what uh, grilled carp or whatever, and uh, just. Of course, Beasley looked at the menu and he said, I'll have the chicken, please. Wow. <laughs> the only, and I said, how's the chicken? He said, tastes like chicken. It's mediocre, but, uh, <laughs> but at least it's edible. Mm-hmm. He's the only one who finished his lunch. And the waiter, the poor waiter comes over and he says, you know, chick what's what, is there something wrong here? Like, uh, he, he, he honestly couldn't believe why we weren't eating our food. And I think it was sincere. It was a, it was a nice place. Yeah, it was a lovely place, but the food was disgusting. They had spent too much time actually eating the, the freshwater fish, which I was excited to eat. It was just very gross. Yeah, but see, I've eaten Italian freshwater fish up on Lake Como many times, and although it's sometimes too hearty, but, you know, they'll grill these little fishes over an open fire, and, you know, it's it's quite good. But this this place was uh, uh, abominable. Some of the best food we made was made by you and uh, you and your mother in our kitchen in uh, in the in this in this farm in Spello, where the the nice lady gave us this olive oil made that day. Very potent, very uh, very strange mm. tasting. She said it'll take uh, several months for it to mellow down to the place. She said, "Don't don't use it on fish; it'll overwhelm the the, the taste of the fish." And, of course, that's a favorite thing in Italy to do. You grill a fish, and then you drizzle olive oil on it as you, uh, as you, you serve you it. You bet you didn't have some of that olive oil eating carp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gosh. Our last day there, we finally got to eat at the famous La Cantina, and it was, uh, it was worth waiting for. It was in Spello. Very nice restaurant. It was nice. It was, it was sort of on the, on the elegant side. And uh, what was interesting is the place was about one-third full when we went there. And uh, nice, nice people, because there was a, a young and beautiful girl with her boyfriend necking. That was a little uh, strange. Oh, but, dinner uh, and a show. But yes. But uh, so a, a, an American family came in dressed straight out of Rick Steves. In other words, ball cap pulled to the side, T-shirt, short, cargo shorts, tennis shoes. And the whole family dressed that way. And the waitress went up and said, I'm sorry, we're all full up. Well, I mean, it would, you know, the, I'm sorry if you, you, if you're an, a walking eyesore, an, an aesthetic offense, that's how you're going to get treated. Was I, this the kind of restaurant that was, <laughs> that needed to be like dressed up in or should. Uh, Moderately. And generally, in general, I get the feeling that people dress nicer or to go to the restaurant. Yes. I don't know. Even, even when they're casual, 
even when they're completely casual, they do, you know, the man will have a beautiful silk jacket on and nice okay. trousers, and the, the girls always are, are uh, nicely dressed. And so for this, this couple, the guy had a beautiful, a beautiful suit with a handsome tie, and the, okay. the girl was dressed in, a, in just, you know, like she stepped out of a fashion magazine. Yeah. And uh, other people were dressed casually, you know, like there were families sitting there dining, you know, but, but that nobody was dressed like a bum. Nobody was dressed like they just came in from uh, playing volleyball. I see. And when Americans travel, they insist on doing this. It's their God-given right to be a slob. Right. And then they wonder why they get rude treatment everywhere. So what, what was your meal at the cantina? Roasted rabbit. Mm. We got, uh, we got, uh, we, you know, we got, of course, uh, <laughs> we couldn't, you can't eat with uh, Mark Beasley without getting a plate of, uh, of salami and cheese, which was excellent. Uh, it was Norcha salami, and uh, and uh, you know every everything we had there. The pasta was perfectly made, and of course we shouldn't. Uh, maybe we should close out this uh, show mm. with the talk about the, the 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 greatest thing we put in our mouth was not the food, despite all the great pasta and the great grilled meats and everything. Umbrian cooking is a very uh, distinctively simple but elegant in its simplicity, but we must have drunk gallons upon gallons of the wine of Montefalco. It's a wonderful red wine. The Montefalco grape is specific to that part of Umbria. And uh, it grows nowhere else in the world. And they both make a pure Montefalco. And they make, then they'll mix it with like Merlot or Cabernet or something else. And, uh, and uh, it'll be 30, 40% Montefalco. But it's a very distinctive, deep, powerful red wine. And uh, they compare it. They like to compare it with the Brunello of Montalcino. But they always say, but uh, ours is more ours is more reliable. I've never had wine like that before. It had all the best qualities of my favorite wine. It was very rich and luscious. Yeah. But then it was some of them, uh, some of the cheaper Rossos, they had very spicy light wines that were very easy to drink and extremely grapey, like a Gamay or a, uh, you know, there were medium-bodied ones that were more like rich, hearty Chiantis, which Chiantis aren't or really none of those things. Right. And then they had very, very full, luscious, um, tasting like $200 bottle of French wines, um, but they were much more affordable kind of uh, Italian wines. That had, they were very nuanced and rich and minerally. From the, the cheap end was like six euros, and uh, it was the, the six euro Rosso, which is a mixture, just, a, just their red with Montefalco in it, would is comparable to a twenty to thirty dollar wine in the United States, hmm. and um, and the the great the big ones of Montefalco from twenty to forty, or even from actually from fourteen to forty, um, all of them were off the charts as far as I'm concerned. They were really were among the the best Italian wines I've ever drunk, hmm. with, whether we paid a lot or a little for them. Yeah, those same wines I've been looking are, are uh, they're about $25 a bottle over here, the cheap ones, yeah. the ones that were the cheapest ones yeah. you can get over here. So I'm kind of bummed out that we can't. Yeah, no, I, they're, they're more than double, more than double what uh, we were paying for it in a, in, a, in a store. On the other hand, it's a little bit, it's about the same as in an Italian restaurant because the markup in Italian restaurants is at most 100%. It's sometimes... Uh, a lot less. Of course, we we uh, 
we went to Spoleto together that day, and we ate in that. That we ate in that place. So they had again a great Montefalco, and and the, our wine, our menu had been signed by Don Matteo, <laughs> the the that is the actor Terence Hill who plays uh, the detective priest. Yeah, that was, uh, and of course we went to Gubbio, which is where the the series was set for. A, I think it's maybe moved, but it's been going on for like fifteen years on Italian TV. Well, you know, we can't 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 uh, talk all day, but tell it just what do you give us just an overview? Like you've been to you've been to Sicily, you've been to Rome, you've been to Naples, and you've been. I know I took you to uh, to Florence uh, when you were uh, in Pisa, and you've been to. Uh, just how would you distinguish Umbria, with the people, the food, the wine from uh, from the rest of Italy? I would say that they're a lot more private because I, I guess we went to smaller little towns than than, than the larger ones. So the people, they were a lot more private, uh, but they all seemed more invested in kind of the things that have kept their economy going, be it their, their cuisine, the things for their cuisine, their wine, their olives, their salami. Yeah, they're very proud um, of it, yeah. Remember we went to this little place you found called Mordecai? Uh, it had like five tables in Montefalco where they produced the wine. A husband and wife combination gave us one of the best meals we I've ever had in Italy, and it was dirt cheap, and uh, and it was just a, a, this tiny little place. Oh, I love that place. That was excellent. Yeah, they were tag-teaming the kitchen. Yeah. One person would come out, pour some more wine, the other one would go in the back and cook another course. Yeah. Pretty impressive. I mean, it was, we were lucky to get in there. It was like a Sunday. It was very much an off day, but not, not to say that Montefalco was overwhelmed with, uh, with uh, tourism. That's, that's one of the other great things about Umbria in general is the very low level, low level of tourism, almost no tour buses, for example. Yeah, that was nice. As opposed to being a tourist tool to kind of draw people in, they had a very demonstrative cuisine and kind of terroir that affected everything they did, down to the cojone salami, to the wine, to the cheese, to every dish being, you know, even though the, the dishes were dissimilar in many ways, there were, a lot, there were more unifying things seen in every meal we ate than there were things that were different. Yeah. Lots of lots of organ meat, like they had this weird mixture of lamb innards called coratello. That was delicious. That was one of my favorite things. Yeah, that liver, kidney, heart, you know, and they and they were selling it in the supermarket. <laughs> you know, all you know, all all ready for you to go home and stew your coratello. Lots of organ meat, lots of game, lots of boar, uh, lots of lots of rabbit, and uh, lots of truffles. It's uh, I I think it's a cuisine it would be hard to get tired of. Yeah, I I, I may have gotten tired of truffles, but I didn't get tired of them today. Yeah. You could switch from truffles to porcini any 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 time you want to. Well, it's getting on to lunchtime, so we better start uh, thinking about uh, some something really exciting, some uh, American lunch like oh, peanut butter sandwich and a glass of milk. We're doing something similar to that. Uh, Austin spent the last uh, thirty minutes shucking oysters that we got a whole bushel of. We're gonna go deep and make some pole boys. Oh. Enjoy the peanut butter. Thank you, thank you. I'll I'll remember this against you forever. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.